everybody. This is John Petrucci from Dream Theater. You're listening to Iron City Rock. Hi, this is Joe Satriani, and you're listening to Iron City Rock. Hey, hey, what do you say? This is Bobby Bliss from Overkill, and that's right. I am on Iron City Rock. Hey, this is Al Petrucci from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, and you're with my buddy John over at Iron City Rocks. See you guys soon. Episode 153 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John. Episode 153, we are going to talk to the musical director and guitarist of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, You might also remember him from his days in Megadeth and Alice Cooper. His name, Al Petrelli. He was on the show about two years ago talking about, um, obviously, the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra's winter tour has become quite a sensation, filling arenas uh, nationwide. Uh, But this is the second time through the Pittsburgh region that the TSO is going to be doing a spring tour, which obviously is not going to be full of Christmas music. Uh, The last time they came through was right around the time the Night Castles album came out, so they did that album in its entirety, and this time they'll be doing Beethoven's Last Night, which is an album from about 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, A really great collection of of Beethoven music kind of put to almost a metal uh, sort of style. So we're going to talk to Al in just a moment. Uh, What I'm going to do to get you in the mood for that is play you a little of Beethoven from Beethoven's Last Night, and then we'll talk to Alan. of the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. How you doing, Al? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back on. How's everything on your side? Everything is great. Uh, the weather here in the in the Northeast is, is getting beautiful, so it's a great time of year. And um, what is becoming the time of year to think about the spring tour for the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, you guys, are not coming directly to Pittsburgh, but you're doing a whole bunch of shows in kind of that tri-state region, you're doing a show, uh, I believe it's next Thursday in Youngstown, and then you're doing one in Wheeling, West Virginia, um, Erie, PA. So I wanted to kind of give people a chance to, to that maybe didn't catch you on the spring tour when you were in Pittsburgh the last time, to learn a little bit about what the the, uh, the spring tour is and how it's different from the winter production that has become so, you know, world-renowned. So for, for a fan who, who maybe has come to, the, you know, the holiday tour and seen you in, in December, what what can they expect when they come to a show in April or May with the TSO? Well, I think the similarities would be uh, it's um, 
is is the grandeur of the winter tour exists. You know, mm-hmm. um, there's uh, the the band is uh, one of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet. Uh, we're surrounded with like eight of the greatest singers I've ever had the privilege of working with on stage. Obviously, you know, the string section will be with us. So, you know, the musicianship on stage is pretty much intact. The look of the show is uh, on the same level as the winter tour, whereas there's, you know, the pyro, the lasers, the trusses, the video screens, you know, everything more is good at TSO, mm. you know what I mean? Sure. Um, you know, so, you know, for, for 25 or $30, the person in the audience for two and a half hours is going to get, you know, just completely overwhelmed both sonically and visually and it's the same just you know the, the more important thing about our production is that you can sit in the audience with your family you know you can bring your daughter you can bring your son you know your eight-year-old kid's going to put his cell phone down and stop texting everybody <laughs> how he hates everything yeah for two and a half hours and he's going to sit up and look up maybe want to take piano lessons or guitar lessons or five. anyway all that is is very similar to the winter tour okay, okay. Uh, you know Paul O'Neill would not let us go out without that kind of quality control. The only difference is the story. I mean, it's a bit darker of the story. This isn't the Frank Capra-esque story of, you know, Christmas Eve and other stories. This is a bit different. It's about the great composer's last night on Earth. Okay. Now, that in itself, it's not just a musical story, you know, because we will be playing, you know, some of his greatest works along with some of the other great composers, but, you know, it's a lot deeper than that. One of the things the audience may or may not know is that the great composer was deaf, mm-hmm. you know. So it becomes a human story in that side. And then you have the um, the very Robert Johnson-esque tale of the bartering for the missing song. You know, Mephistopheles sure. of the Devil Comes Down to Trade, uh, uh, Beethoven's Eternal Soul, you know, Fire and Brimstone and all that, you know, that stuff. For the missing 10th symphony, which we don't know if it ever really existed or not. So, you know, Paul O'Neill and John Oliver are pretty clever dudes. You know, they sure. write what's historically correct, and then they say, well, this could be historically correct. Right. Yeah, so it's always going to be able to raise an eyebrow and have some fun with it. Now, obviously, you guys have just released the, I believe it's called the Narrative Edition of the, the Beethoven's Last mm-hmm. Night. Will we be expecting that that kind of tale in its entirety? Is that sort of Absolutely. how the show goes? Yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be narrated top to bottom by a gentleman named Brian Hicks, brilliant, brilliant actor out of Queens. Okay. Um He's absolutely amazing. You know, it's I've been doing this, uh, I guess we recorded this record back in 98, 99 maybe, you know. So I've been listening to the record for the past 14 years, and every night Brian uh, tells this tale, I learned something new about the story. And this, you know, the devil's in the details, no pun intended with <laughs> this one. And he yeah. just he's extremely eloquent in his depiction of it. Yeah, I, I have to say, listening to the narrative edition, Really, really enhances it. I mean, it's certainly much longer. And at first, I was like, "Wow, this is you know, this is two full CDs worth of, of music here." But when you listen to it, it brings, it really helps visually, uh, you know, in your mind's eye, kind of put the story together. Well, yeah, and the rhythm of it, the way the pole wrote it, you know, the the, the rhyming. The rhyme scheme, you know, it, it gives you a little more balance in the narrative so that you can sit down and pay attention to what's going on. Also, you know, again, what I can't ever say it enough is that the hidden gem is, is, is seeing children and their grandparents in the audience, and it gives them both an opportunity to kind of pay attention. So the traditional opera, you know, is, is gorgeous and beautiful, and um, but 
it may be in Italian. It, it may right. be in whatever language it may be in. So the listeners kind of, you may not speak Italian, but obviously if you're paying attention to the dynamic and the emotion, you're getting the gist of what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so with us, not only the dynamic and the emotion is self-explanatory, but we have this beautiful voice, this narrative just taking you on the trips to kind of like say, well, this is exactly what's going on. Sure. Now, our, I'm noticing, at least from, you know, as I look down through the tour itinerary, the spring tour this time around seems to be larger venues than the last go-around of the spring. Was that allowing you to do more of the winter-scale production? Um, yeah, a little bit more. But what it's really doing is letting us perform in front of more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's it's grown up over the last three years, not too different than how the winter tour did. Sure. Yeah, it's it, you guys can only do so many dates in the month of uh, November and December, unfortunately, because uh, you know because you guys had a few months to recuperate after those string of dates. Now, is is there an East Coast and West Coast to the spring yet, or is it still is this just one group of performers doing the whole country? On the spring tour, it's just the one band. You know, we're not under any time constraints. We don't have to worry about you know when the the big ball's going to drop on New Year's Eve sure. and the holiday season for us. So we've been hitting it since around Valentine's Day, and I think I go home close to uh, close to the beginning of June. Okay. So you know, we we've done pretty much all 48 continental on this tour, and it's a pleasure to take it across the country in its entirety. Mm-hmm. You know, and I know um, in the next year or two, it'll even get a little bit larger, and you know, we'll go back over to Europe, and I know Paul wants to take it over to Asia and the Pacific Rim and different parts of the country. Yeah. Now. I've heard, and correct me if this is just an incorrect rumor, that the TSO incorporates local musicians as you travel. Is that is that a true statement in the winter, and is that also valid for the spring tour as well? Absolutely. Every show, uh, we have uh, friends that we've made over the years, you know, great, great string players that we just use in each community, you know. I don't like to use the word local in that sense because that has sort of like a a connotation of not being on our level, which is Mm. not that some of these people would smoke us, you know. When you get into some of these towns where they have, you know, a pretty proper orchestra and these these people can play, dude. I mean, Mm. these are real players. Classical players don't mess around, you know. So it's an honor for us to be part of them. Now, what what is the qualification? How do you do that selection? Do you have people who kind of scout this out to find these players? We have a, uh, yeah, we got a string contractor based out of Detroit, Michigan, um, who, his dad was actually part of the Funk Brothers, you know, the Motown yeah. band back in the day. Mm-hmm. So it's a real lineage of, of, of musicality in that family. So this gentleman has been tied into, you know, some players and just with the networking available, certainly with the internet, um, He's been able to, like, in every city, just find great players, you know. I mean, sure. it's, it's, it's a pretty tight-knit bunch of us, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you were coming through, you know, whatever, Austin, Texas, and you needed a band, you know, we'd be able to put a pretty hot band together for you. You know, they can read, you put a chart in front of them, rehearsing for a couple of hours, and you're off to the races, you know. Yeah. They, they could be in Nashville, it could be in Austin, it could be in Boston, it could be anywhere you wanted. Yeah, now, now speaking, you mentioned charts, and, and obviously your music is, isn't your typical two guitar, bass player, drum, singer, rock band? Who does all the arranging to all this stuff and all the charting for the different instruments and stuff? Uh, it depends. Um, a lot of it, uh, you know, Paul O'Neill's got a lot of it in his head, uh, mm-hmm. how the arrangement goes. 
And then between myself and um, the other MD, Derek Whelan, we'll okay. be able to kind of score it for him. Um, Derek has a computer program that, like, he kind of types in the music okay. and it comes out perfectly. You know, I still do, like, the Neanderthal way with yeah. the paper, so... But, uh, you know, uh, depending on who's, like, I'll do some arranging with Paul, John Oliva will do some arranging with Paul. I mean, you know, the, the, the three or four of us that are in the studio in the early stages of uh, Song's Inception, kind of, you know, like, tailor to how we want it. Sure. But I, you know, most of it's Paul, I and mean, then, like I said, that's why I have a job. I can actually speak the language pretty fluently and be able to write it and translate it to people. Now, let me ask you this, then. Is there something in your background that kind of... of you, where you learned this, or did you get some training? Obviously, you were involved with Megadeth and Alice Cooper and Dee Snyder and things things like that, but where, where did this skill kind of come from? Uh, I think it was just being um, in the 60s. There was no other way to do anything other than the old-fashioned way, so when I was little, my mom started giving me guitar lessons, and I learned how to read, you know? Okay. Uh, yeah, and it was like, you know, Mel Bay method book or Alfred's basic method book, whatever it was, you know, that, yeah. that's what we did back then. Uh, then when I got into the public school system in the second or third grade, they handed you a trumpet or a clarinet, and, you know, you're either on the football team or in the band. <laughs> At my size, I was in the band, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Uh, I was pretty little back then. So you know, I was in the, the symphonic wind ensemble, the orchestra, the choir, okay. the, the marching band, the jazz band, everything. So you just you, you don't know what you're doing. Dude, you're reading charts, you know. Yeah. You're reading scores. You know, you're playing Handel, you're playing Chopin, you're playing Mozart. You know, obviously scaled down for elementary school, junior high, and high school, whatever. But still, you know, you're being exposed to you know large ensemble arrangements, and you get to play between the instruments and why the woodwinds act the way the woodwinds do. You know, again, you're just kind of you're growing up in it, so. It, it was like, wow, this is how things are. Awesome. You know, they also taught me French and Italian back in school. And it was like, oh, really? You know, it's like going to algebra or, or, or biology. That's just what we did. There was no computers. There was no internet. There was no video games. You know, there was a pinball machine at the pizza place. And there was, you know, a, a dirt field where you could play baseball if you wanted. Or, or you could play music all day. Yeah. You know, that was it. Long for the simpler times. Well, they were simple, but we made them pretty involved. I mean, sure. you know, I mean, those days, you know, I was playing, I had four or five classes a day in high school that were music classes, and when I got out, you know, much to my mother's chagrin, we went back to, you know, her house, and in her garage was like my garage, literally a garage, man, not a video mm -hmm. game. And we'd be playing Allman Brothers and Skinner and Zeppelin and whatever, all until the sun went down, you know? Yeah. And learning how to arrange and write songs, and then you know, start you know, back then the drinking age in New York was 18, mm -hmm. so you know I could sneak into bars at 14 or 15 and just you know cut my teeth that way, playing slide on you know on small brothers of Skinner thing in some bar with a bunch of local drunks. Yeah, that was the other side of the education. So I, you know, <laughs> that, that's when you're a musician. You know, you, you there's two ways to do it: the barroom way or the formal way. And I did it both ways. And I guess that's what Paul really likes about me. Yeah, I mean, when when you can say in in that little piece that you were playing Chopin and Dwayne Almond, you know that that says yeah. a lot. That I was playing Space Row Blues in Mozart's Twenty Fourth Symphony, you know. Yeah. When, when I was just starting to wear, you know, a pair of five hundred ones to work with, you know, yeah, Billy but, Jack was playing at the movie theater in town, and the Almond Brothers live at the Fillmore was on a turntable. Nothing, nothing wrong with There's that. There's a picture for you. No, there was nothing wrong with it. And nowadays, you know what's weird? Nowadays, when you run into somebody who's young, it's the same thing, except it's not on the turntable at the local movie theater. It's on their, you know, their Mac Airbook or whatever, you yeah, know, or, or 
on their iPhone. So now they got whatever movie is hip now for them to watch, mm-hmm. and they may have whatever piece of music they want, you know, uh, on their phone. But the real purists are still doing it the old-fashioned way with hard work. You know, yeah. just the technology's changed. Yeah. It's the kids who are playing GarageBand who think that they're working on it, or the ones who are playing Guitar Hero. Dude, that that's like you know make-believe martial arts or make-believe whatever. It's cyber world, dude. It don't work. Yeah, exactly. That's what I love about the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. That's what I love about my job is I look down in the audience and I would bet the farm that each night one or two kids would turn around and say, you know what, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I want to go home and do that tomorrow. And if we change, that's the impetus of Paul's existence. If you change one of these kids, if you change one of their parents, if you just change the perception on something... That could be musically or that could be, you know, how the homeless needs some help in town or whatever Paul's up to. Yeah. It was a good day. You know, we did something useful today. Very good day. Um, any plans? I, I know there, there's obviously there's a, an official TSO DVD out there that's you know, been around for a number of years. Any plan to do maybe a full-on concert DVD down the line? Uh, we got a couple out now. Uh, we had filmed a Beethoven tour at Dallas a couple of years ago. Um, you know what? He, whatever he's got on deck for us to do next, you know, I just kind of nod the smile and say, hey, let's get to work. I, yeah. I don't know. I know there's, there's two more rock operas that he and John O'Leary and Dave Whitman are working on. You know, they're kind of okay. sketching out the framework for it right now. Uh, I know that's uh, what he wants to do. I know he's looking at the winter tour and scratching his head to, to change things up a little bit. Sure. Um I think that those are the things that are on deck that are really important to him. Another production with cameras and video, yeah, maybe, but I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a question for Paul. You're gonna have to go through about 20 other questions before you get to that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to ask you, kind of on a lighter side. I mean, obviously, with all the the pyrotechnics and, and rigging and lighting and uh, pyro and things like that, any uh, real mishaps on, on the road? Any kind of horror stories on stage you've had with the tours? over the years? Uh, nothing with the production side of it. I mean, just, you know, um, me being a moron musician and deciding to jump off a riser like a 25-year-old. And when <laughs> I landed, I reminded myself I was 46 and <laughs> my leg. Other than that, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Oh, yeah, that, that wasn't one of the smarter things I've done in my life, but, uh, you know, we're cool for a minute. Yeah. Made a good photo op there. Well, Al, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Again, uh, the TSO is going to be coming through uh, all over the area of, of Pennsylvania, Ohio, West Virginia, and Maryland over the next two weeks or so. So plenty of opportunities to see you guys out on the road. And I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. Well, it's my hometown. I mean, I live in northeast Pennsylvania, so it's going to be good to come back to the 13 colonies and dance, you know. Amen. Yeah, if we could just get this hockey series sorted out, and we'll be in good shape. Absolutely. No comment yet. <laughs> so uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, my friend, and I'll oh. see you soon. I wish you and your family the best, okay? All right. Take care, Al. You take care. Uh, brother, be good. Bye-bye. I always wanted to learn to play guitar, but never had the time. Then I heard about Progressions Music Studio. Progressions introduced me to an entirely new and convenient method of music instruction. They brought the music to me. The instructors from Progressions Music Studio came to my home with their knowledge and expertise, which saved me time and money. They worked around my schedule and tailored a program around my needs and skill level. Best of all, I learned to play music like a guitar king of the 1960s. We didn't spend all of our time with drills or tunes from the 1860s. Progressions Music Studio offers a lot more than guitar. In fact, they have instructors for almost all instruments. Now I can rock it out on my electric like never before. 
Just imagine what they can do for you or the budding musician in your family. Don't make excuses. Make music. Check them out on the web at progressionsmusicstudio.com. That's P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-I-O-N-S. Musicstudio.com. Or call 724-777-4678. The world's biggest heavy metal touring music festival is back. The Rockstar Energy Drink Mayhem Festival featuring Slipknot, Slayer, Motorhead, Anthrax, and more. Saturday, July 28th, First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. Presented by The X at 105.9. All info at RockstarMayhemFest.com. All right, a giant thank you to Al Petrelli and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Uh, if you go to ironcityrocks.com, you can see on the concert calendar they are doing several dates. Actually, this coming weekend uh, in Wheeling, uh, they're doing a show in Youngstown, and then into next week doing a show in Erie, uh, Baltimore, and a bunch of areas kind of in the peripheral of, of Western PA. So uh, no matter where you live in the Pittsburgh area, if you live in the Pittsburgh area, there's a show probably within a convenient drivable range, and obviously they're doing this thing coast to coast, so there's no shortage of chances to get to see the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. So if you've been a fan of the Christmas show, it might be a cool idea to go and check this out and see uh, what they do a little bit different. If you haven't seen the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, get off your rear end. Um, they're honestly, of all the shows I've seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of the big names in concerts, especially arena concerts and such, there are very few acts that will ever rival the TSO as far as what they put on show-wise. We're talking pyro, the magnitude of Kiss, uh, complex musical, but very enjoyable, very approachable. Uh, it's not a highbrow affair by any stretch. Uh, it's a show that you could take your kids to. It's a show you could take your parents to. Um, just great entertainment. So uh, get out and see it while you can. Uh, we're going to now talk to uh, a guy who I, I got an email from a publicist and they said, check this out. And we at Iron City Rocks get a lot of things to check out. And it's one of the great things about doing this. We get to learn a lot about uh, new bands and such. Well, we got a CD from a guy named Brennan Dillon, uh, which didn't really stand out to anything, nothing special about the CD that we got until I listened to it. And uh, I'm a big fan of instrumental rock guitar. Uh, and Brennan takes it in a direction that's a little bit unique uh, in the instrumental rock guitar. So I'm not even going to say how it's unique. I'm going to let you listen to it, and then we're going to talk to Brennan.
extraordinaire, Brennan Dillon. How are you doing, Brennan? Good, thanks. How are you? I am doing great. Hey, I got a copy of your CD, and I have to say it immediately grabbed my attention because it, it's, to me, something I haven't really heard um, oh, wow. in, the, in the world of guitar playing yet. I've been a fan of of kind of guitar instrumental albums going back to the Mike Varney days of, you know, the mid-1980s uh, with Cacophony and Jason Becker and some of those guys like that. But your album kind of stood out to me, and that's kind of rare. Um, oh, wow. So could you maybe just give us a little bit of background on what it is you do and, and how you got to this point? Okay, yeah. Um, what I do is play to electronic music, Um either my own well also like when i play live i'll play like a lot of my my own compositions but then also you know you got to play like the skrillex some tunes or like some dead mouse songs you know and just keep it like give people what they want too as well but that all came about in 2007 um when i went to go see tommy lee and dj arrow with dead mouse okay. in montreal and like I, I was living in ottawa ontario at the time and i was Man, I was like 18, and the drinking age, and to go to clubs, like when they have events like this, it would be 19. Okay. And in Montreal, it's 18 and over, so I had to go to Montreal to see these guys, and when I went, and you know, I've never been to that type of concert or show, oh. so immediately I was just drawn in, I was blown away by everything, you know. And so ever since then, it was like, okay, you know, dance music and electronic music is, I can definitely incorporate guitar to this genre of music, you know? And then later on it progressed into dubstep. Okay. Now, I, like, I, I guess last year, yeah. Had you, uh, when, did, when did you start actually playing the guitar? Because I'm guessing your skills didn't crop up overnight. No. Um, <laughs> well, I started playing when I was 14, but okay. before that I played the alto saxophone. Okay. I picked that up when I was 10, so it kind of went hand in hand and... Mm -hmm. When I was 14, it was like all rock music, and yeah. that's what I wanted to do. So, Was there anybody in particular in, in that era that, as a guitarist that influenced you? Um, there was a lot. Like, it was Eddie Van Halen. Mm -hmm. That was really big. And, like, when I heard, you know, Eruption for the first time, sure. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. Like, I, I, I want to learn, learn how to do this. And then also all the guys in Iron Maiden, Okay. Angus Young, ACDC. And then over, like, when I was 15, it kind of went to Metallica, Megadeth, Yngwie Malmsteen. Got a little heavier. Yeah, Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, those types of guys. And mm -hmm. just now, recently, I've been listening to a lot of Dream dream Theater. Okay. And, yeah, so it's it's all... Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned stuff, yeah. Dream Theater, because, I mean, you know, when you think of... You know, I don't want to necessarily label you, your album as progressive in style, but I mean, you're certainly doing yeah. something that, that I would say is pretty unique um, in that. Oh, you know, you. and it's and it's not it's not a record for shredders necessarily. I mean, I wouldn't say it's not a record for shredders because I think people who are very much into instrumental guitar, such as yeah. myself, are going to find it very enjoyable. But it's not one that I think is going to alienate. You know, the sure. way. You know, I, I you mentioned Eddie Van Halen, and I, I went to see Van Halen last week. And, oh, cool. uh, how is it a good show? Oh, absolutely, yes. But I, I will say this: my my wife, who was attending it with me, was texting my sister in law about, boy, I can't wait for this guitar solo to be over. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is like 
sacrilege. But <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the best part right there. Yeah, yeah for you and I, we're Our like, yeah, yeah, this is this is what we're here yeah. for. And oh, but yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I think sometimes, you know, some of the guitar instrumental records can, can turn fans away who are used to, you know, hearing a vocalist. But I think right. the fact yeah. that you've got guitar music that you could literally dance to is just, it's refreshing and neat. And it, it, you have to wonder why you know, why he hadn't heard this yet before, you know, because it's like, yeah, you know, I, I listen to it and I think this is kind of like, you know, like a Joe Satriani you mentioned, kind of like yeah. jamming with Martin Gore from Depeche Mode, and that's that's really, really refreshing. Now, yeah. is, is this album, I mean, this is a solo album in the truest sense. Did you play everything on this album? Yes. Okay. I, like, recorded, there was, like, there's a, about... I believe there's five tracks, and I went to a recording studio. Um, I guess it was a summer. I'm trying to think because I've done so much stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just going by so fast. But um, sure. it was summer in North Hollywood, and I recorded. Uh, it was Bullet Ride, the CD, like okay. or EP, sorry, like five songs. Okay. And I was there for like about two and a half weeks, but then. The the new stuff, like the heavier dubstep, I guess, and, you know, some of, like, the classical pieces that are on there, um, that was all recorded on my laptop in my apartment in Los Angeles. Okay. Pro Tools? And, uh, uh, Ableton Live. Okay. And then I have a Dave Smith analog synthesizer, and then I have, like, um, what was it called? It's just, like, some plugins, you know, like, massive for different synth sounds, and, Mm -hmm. and then just drums, battery, and then you program everything. And it takes a long time, but it's fun, you know? Yeah, it can be I really great enjoy to do. doing it, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's just you there, and it's, it's all good, and then add the guitars in. And yeah, and it's fun. awesome to think, I mean, you know, when you, you listen to albums now, I wouldn't have been any more surprised if you said you had done this in a full-on, um, you know, you know, 24-track, 36-track recording studio versus oh, wow. doing it in, in, you know on a laptop and that's what what is so neat in, in, about this time in music is that you're not limited by the budget to make an album in some respect oh right no yeah. you know like yeah, you said it's it really, could be really tedious but yeah uh, it's very like you're sitting there for hours like you know trying to get the right synth sound or or whatever like it could just be like one thing on a knob but there's like 20 different knobs you know and sure. everything and you're just playing playing the track back over and over and just listening. And then it, it, it's weird. Like with me, like I'll come up, I'll be working on a song, but then I'll kind of go on to something else and I'll write like another part. And sometimes I can use that on the song I'm working on or I'll just start a new track, you know. So it's just... Yeah. and, and think always, of, I'm always going, yeah. Think about what that would cost if you were burning... Uh, uh, you know, full-on studio time, too, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it'd be very, very expensive. I know, like, all that stuff can be very, yeah, very expensive, yeah. Now, did you did you mix and master the album yourself as well? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you... I, all those tracks except, um, where, where are they? It's, it'd be Point Break, uh, Derailed, War Parade, Racing Laguna, and Strobe Dancer. Okay. Those are the ones that I recorded in a, in a studio because at the time I didn't know how to, you know, like make, um, I guess like electronic music. Well, like I I, I, I made I made like demos and stuff, but mm-hmm. like 
real like you know you want the professional sound and stuff and I learned a lot and so through there it was kind of like I got everything I needed and it was right. really cool you know now I can do this myself and yeah the one the one track that kind of to me stands out uh, the lead off track 29 Palms uh, it to me was very different than the rest of the album is there something in particular about that was that written at a different period or, or what how did that come yeah that, come up? that one was written um when i was in high school i was like 17 okay yeah yeah and i i, re- I re-recorded everything just in my apartment i had classical guitar and then just a uh, 50 uh, sure was it an sm 57 microphone and i just okay. kind of hooked it up like and you know just recorded that and then all the electric guitar is just that's me now. Okay. Like, there's a different version of it, but now it's just kind of like evolved. I was like, you know, I can do more with this. Okay. Is is that probably the oldest piece in in the group? Yes, definitely. Yeah. That's the oldest one. Yeah. Yeah, because that I, I I know in in I please the liner notes. There's a review there that kind of compared it to to Jeff Beck, and I think some of the the tremolo. Uh, in your playing to me was very reminiscent of Jeff Beck, but then I think once you get to track two, I was like, eh, this is this is different and this is this is special. So that was. Yeah. Uh, but uh, where um, can people pick the CD up at? I mean, is this iTunes and yeah, it's maybe iTunes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for right now, I'm, I'm I believe it's just iTunes, and then I'm gonna sell them when I play live, okay. like for five bucks, you know, and sure. do that. So that'll be cool. But for you, right now, it's just iTunes. Do you do ma- mostly shows on the West Coast? Um, or, or where? where well, when I was in California, I played quite a bit and then moved, you know, to New York. So I played okay. here. And then I did a show about, I'm guessing it was about three weeks ago in Las Vegas at Surrender Nightclub. Okay. And that was really fun. So basically, I guess, you know, all over. Now, how do you... How do you... I, I really... Oh, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. That's okay. I was curious how how live you you go about how you approach this work because of the way it was done. Do you play to like a backing track with the beats, or do you do you have other musicians that perform the stuff with you? Oh, I have uh, like DJ gear and then okay. I use my laptop, and then I just guitar, and then okay. so pretty much all the guitar sounds you hear on the track, I'm doing it live. Okay. Like so, it's 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 a lot, a lot yeah, of you're, uh, you're, guitar you're... when you're doing it live, but it just all works. I, I was thinking too, like you know, like oh, would it be cool with um, some pre-recorded guitar? But I didn't really want to do that, and then you know, it's kind of, I guess, I I wouldn't go and say it was lame, but it's just too much is going on. Then I was just like, you know, I just want to do it, just do it all. Organically, yeah. I mean, yeah. you've got to be quite busy up there on stage there with between yeah, the guitar and all. Yeah, it's fun though. Yeah, it's really. Uh, I have a blast doing it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of like when I'm getting ready for a show, I'll just, you know, I'll just practice for about like eight hours a day. Not like the those songs eight hours a day, but different like scales or mm-hmm. I'll like do some Paganini just to like warm up, you know, and get to warm up, the dexterity yeah. going, and then. Then it's kind of like then it's on. Then it's just like, yeah, yeah. I guess once you've done the Paganini, you can pretty much downshift anybody you want at that point. That's, that's yeah. Impressive. Um, let, let me ask you this, just from a kind of a, a theory question: Do are are there certain modes and things like that that lend themselves to, in your experience, to the electronic music, or, or how do you 
do you have to tailor what what you write on the guitar differently for the beats to make it work better? Um, depending on like usually when it's like because I I used to like in high school I'd I'd go do live improv at a mm-hmm. rock jazz blues club for like three years and you just go up there and not know any of the songs and it's just play by ear so you know like I don't really have like a method on what I'm doing like with other people's songs it's kind of like I play it by ear Mm -hmm. and then I have it already you know I'll run through it like at home a few times and then then I have an idea of what I want to do with that song you know have a riff here a chorus here you know solo back to chorus kind of thing Mm because before before that it would just be like you know some of these tracks are like seven minutes long and I would just rip through the whole thing of just maybe like six different riffs a bunch of different solos so people wouldn't really get an idea you you know like you couldn't remember the riff or something there'd be another one right after and it'd be like oh this is crazy but um now like when I when I write um it's it's I usually like I'll, I'll write I'll do one or the other kind of thing it's like I'll come up with a guitar riff and then put the electronics around that or I'll come up with the electronic track first and then mm-hmm. put guitar over that and you know kind of change things around in the mix but have you had experiences where you've written a riff that w- that you thought was really great but then when you try to put it to an electronic it just didn't work um or are you kind of in that framework? I, I I try to think of some of those, you know, more famous guitarists, yeah. and I'm not sure how well they would work. I'm still trying to get over Jimmy Page uh, doing a yeah. was it Cashmere with um, P Diddy, you know, and then like just how bad that sounded in my head. And oh, I, I think it kind of I, jaded I a lot of people. No. Oh, don't. Oh wow. But uh, okay. you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it, it was somewhat of a sample, you know, kind of thing that they did. Yeah. But, um, you know, and to me it was like, oh, this is just bad, but I guess maybe because it's such an iconic guitar part. But, you know, I, I've listened, you know, when I was listening to your album, I was wondering, you know, I wonder if, if there were things that, ideas that just didn't work, you know, if you're in a, yeah. you know, maybe a minor key or something like that where it just yeah. doesn't work with kind of a, a, a dance beat that would, you know, make a person yeah. want to dance that's too fast, but then the key is minor, you know, if there's yeah. been anything like that. Um. Not really. Just like when I was in the, that uh, recording studio, like with Bullet Ride, I kept coming up with different riffs, and I was like, oh, yeah, let's lay this one down. But they're like, no, 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 because, like, you already have one riff. You want to stick to that one riff. Sure. So there was problems like that, you know, but, like, it's it's cool, you know. But there was one, like, you know, Shattered. It was, um, that was just originally a blues riff, mm-hmm. and I was going to just make a blues blues song at the time. And, you know, that was my first dubstep song that mm-hmm. I ever made. Because, like, when I first heard dubstep, I was like, oh, this is cool, you know, because like, it's, like, slower. And it's to me, it feels like it's got, like, a lot of blues elements, like slow rock or, like, slow metal, you know. And I just incorporated that, so I just kind of sped it up a little bit, like mm-hmm. the guitar riff I was playing and heavied it up a little and... Mm-hmm. No, that was the first one, and I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. <laughs> well, great. Um, can you just give fans an idea of where they can find more information about you? Okay, yeah, you can find me on Facebook. It's Brennan Dillon. Um, also, YouTube, Brennan Dillon. 
YouTube's Brennan Dillon official. I, I have a, a bunch of videos there. Okay. Definitely, like, Facebook. Like, I have a fan page. Okay. No, what is it? Uh, a band page, sorry. Yeah, and then I have, like, a personal one. But you could add me there and then, like, my page. Sure. That's Dillon. Brennan. That, yeah. B-R-E-N-N, not Brendan, as I kept trying to look for it and getting all kinds of people. So that's oh. that's good. Yeah, and the album uh, Broken Glass One is what is the street date on this? Is it available now? April seventeenth. Okay. Think, I believe the CD, but um, I'm not sure if there's songs on there on iTunes yet. Okay. But uh, there should be. Also, I have like a what is it? A SoundCloud. It's Brennan. Okay. Down. Okay. Yeah. Well, great, Brennan. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to come on the show and talk about it. And I really appreciate getting the chance to listen to the music. Like I said, there's very little in guitar instrumental that kind of comes in my way that kind of catches my attention is unique, you know. So it was great to, oh, great to get a chance to listen to it. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, well, no. thank you so much. The biggest bands in rock. The wildest stage shows on earth. The biggest live event of the summer. Kiss and Motley Crue. The Tour 2012. September 2nd at First Niagara Pavilion. Tickets are on sale now. Buy tickets at LiveNation.com. All Ticketmaster outlets are charged by phone. That's one not to be missed. Kiss and Motley Crue with The Tour. A little bit obnoxious in the name, but hey, it'll be a good show. Uh, that's going to be at the First Niagara on, uh, s- that would be September 2nd. Also, just announced today on August 14th, uh, the tour that I was afraid we were going to miss, Def Leppard, will be coming with Poison. Uh, and Lita Ford, if you recall her from Close My Eyes Forever and Kiss Me Deadly fame, uh, they'll be doing the First Niagara Pavilion as well. If you have not had a chance, please go back and check out ironcityrocks.com. Get episode 150. We talked to Phil Collin of Def Leppard, who talks uh, about the tour and uh, the band's relationship with Poison, etc. So uh, really a cool interview, I thought, and I would urge you to go back and check that out. Again, ironcityrocks.com is our website, facebook.com forward slash ironcityrocks, or twitter.com forward slash ironcityrocks. And also, Iron City Rocks is part of the Cast Iron Ring. So you go to castironring.com, you can check out all the great rock, hard rock, and metal shows on there as well. Also, uh, we just released uh, relatively recently the Cast Iron Ring iPod app. Uh, so you can go to the iTunes uh, app store and get that for free. Uh, check out all the shows on the road uh, as you're traveling around, and uh, we hope you enjoyed that. Uh, feedback at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you all. You take care, and we'll talk to you next time. 